Good to see y'all this morning. Take your Bibles, open up to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Welcome into church. And uh, very much feel the need to share this with you just to be transparent this morning, to be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't have it all together. Uh, I, I'm in need of God. I'm in need of the grace of God and the mercy of God. I'm thankful for God's forgiveness. I've not yet met a perfect person. And I'm in that category. I'm in that category of that I stand in the need of God's grace. And um, as we look back at the old nature and look forward to the new nature, and as I stand up here today and preach from the Word of God, it is with great privilege that I do so. But you should know that I am just a forgiven man talking to forgiven people or people that need to be forgiven. Amen. And so as with that, I lead into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 29. We have been discussing the whole month of January. We've been talking about change and, and the change that God would, would have us to make, the things that God values and how oftentimes we are looking to make changes within ourselves and for what motive. And so we, we, we understand in the scripture that the change that God is already working on is the change that we need to be a part of which is to move us from that old nature of self and sinfulness to a new nature of, of holiness and righteousness that is only accomplished through the leading of the Spirit of God with the knowledge of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit of God. And so this is something that we are all being sanctified unto is that new nature that is, is being renewed every single day as we wake up in the morning and choose to follow Jesus. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 29, as we said last week, it gives us these indications or these specifics of a, of a new nature and what that means. And last week, we looked at two out of the three that it gives, our mouth and our emotions. When you get saved, God begins to work on your nature and change it for His glory to represent His glory for our good. And so He begins to work on our mouth so that we tell the truth. He begins to work on our, our emotions so that we, we don't get angry and burn everything down. This is what the scripture we looked at last week said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 or 20, uh, 25. It says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. Verse 26, don't sin by letting anger control you, which means you can get fired up without burning down. Amen. You can experience the emotion that God gives, and, but because, but God, that God gives, but because we are filled with God's spirit, we don't let anger control us or allow anger to be a way in for Satan to be our authority in our emotions every single day. So the new nature that we've looked at specifically last week had to do with our mouth and had to do with our emotions. And now in verse 28, verse 28, God's going to get to our hands. If you are a thief, quit stealing. And that's what the Bible says. Y'all, here's what I know. With this many folks in here and the Word of God written for the church, somebody's dealing with this. And God's Word says, plain as day, if you're taking stuff, stop taking it. I love it when the Bible makes it plain. If you are stealing, quit stealing. If you're a thief, quit stealing. And the Bible gives a change of direction. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. So just as there is a plain and simple directive in the previous verses, stop telling lies. And there's a, a very similar directive here or an imperative of quit stealing. You know, sometimes you can study the scripture and you can find all these cool word translations that will give you this imagery to connect the idea that's presented in the scripture 
but for real, not here. It means what it means. We know what it means to steal. Quit stealing. That really is the instruction of the Scripture. When I was a kid, and, the, and, and all of us should know, as we look back throughout our, our days, we've all taken something that doesn't belong to us. And, and there's all kinds of different ways to look at that. When I was a kid, I remember being on a vacation with, with our family, and we were headed somewhere. I don't even know, remember where we were, but what I remember is this. We were at a McDonald's, but it wasn't just one of those regular McDonald's. It was one of those McDonald's with the playground. Y'all remember those that had the ball pit? Y'all remember the ball pit? I think we, we, that's, that's something that used to happen. I don't even, now that COVID, I don't think anybody would be allowed in a ball pit. I don't know. But I, I remember us leaving that McDonald's, and the ball pit actually was kind of from the outside in. You could, you could reach the ball pit from the outside. So as we were making our way to the car, I was going to make my sister laugh by taking one of those plastic balls. Well, I reached over, just like a thief, and grabbed it up and ran to the car like this with it beside me. And I accomplished my mission. My sister laughed, but my mama didn't. <laughs> and my mother, with that swift hand of judgment and a tone of warning, simply pointed her finger to, at me and caught me. And she said, you take that and put it back right now. And I put it back quicker than what I stole it. But I remember that, and it was good for me because when it's wrong, you got to call it out and get it out. Parents, we should not, some of us, I really believe this. I really believe this. Some of us, if a McDonald's worker would have come out and said, hey, you can't take that, we'd have been like, it's just a plastic ball. It's just a plastic ball. Well, that plastic ball don't belong to you. And so if we teach our children that it's okay to take a plastic ball, what are they going to take next? So when it's wrong, you call it out and you get it out. One pastor said this, wrong is to be judged and changed, not applauded or excused with no consequences. If it's wrong, it's wrong, which is why the standard of God says here in verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Why? Because that represents a nature that is far from God, not a nature that is of the new nature of Jesus Christ. Again, the old nature will do whatever it can to protect itself and promote itself. And it will do the same thing for those that we represent. We don't want you thinking about my child like that, so it's okay. No, it's not okay. But our nature of sin and self wants to promote ourselves and protect ourselves at any cost. So even if right now, as your old nature, we, we tend to justify things like purchasing pirated media, walking out of a store with extra goods, noticing that we have extra goods, and not walking back in that store to pay for it. Taking time that you are not putting back, that your boss expects you to be working and is paying you for. Applying for assistance when you don't need assistance because you're not dealing well with what you got now. And so we go in and we apply for assistance, but we don't really need it. Overcharging someone. Overcharging someone not just to make a profit, but to make a fortune. You see, these are the things that Zacchaeus talked about that he was going to pay back to the people that he stole from. So even in, even in my messages, when I'm, when I'm planning a, a series of messages and putting thoughts and ideas and illustrations, if it's not mine and I didn't come up with it, then I've got to give credit to it in the text. So the document that I print out. Because here's the deal. Some of the folks that are, that are in here will know you didn't say that. 
And the people back there in the booths that put these things up on the screen as they read the text, they see what I put in there that either I stole it or I'm not given credit for it. And so we are all tempted to do these things. We talked about this in group this morning. If you find yourself being tempted to take something that's not yours, don't be surprised because that's what the sin nature does. The sin nature is going to lead you to be a thief. It's going to lead you to be a liar. It's going to lead you to be racist and prejudiced. Don't be surprised when these things bubble up. That's what God saved you from. That's what God's working you away from towards the new nature. Stealing anything is a selfish action and is a burden to someone else as well as a burden to our conscience. And if somebody in that, I bet you there was a teenage boy in in that McDonald's that was in charge of those plastic balls. And when they counted them that day and they were one short, (laughs) the burden then fell on him, which then fell on the manager. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 20 and 21 says, That's not what you learned about Jesus. Since you have heard the truth about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, put off the old and put on the new. And y'all want you to hear this this morning, that if you are reading a word from God's word that still says, put off the old nature and put on the new, that means you still got time to get it right. And thank God for his grace and time. In Luke chapter 22 When Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested before his torture and death, one of the disciples acted. And the Bible says he struck at the high priest's slave, one of those guys that had come to get him, and he slashed off his right ear. And then Jesus said, no more of this. And you know what he did after that? He touched the man's head and put his ear back. So what had been taken from him that belonged to him Jesus restored it and gave it back. So taking anything that's not ours is a selfish action, selfish action that puts burden on someone else. It don't matter if it's a plastic ball or a man's ear. Jesus put back what belonged to the man. Taking, taking reflects not the glory of God, but the influence of Satan. It, it is he who has no respect for private ownership. This is Satan in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said of the enemy, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Satan is going to take from you. I'm going to give to you. One of those and the way that we act represents one and represents the other. It was Satan's influence towards Eve before she took the fruit that was forbidden. Judas was a thief, stealing from his own folks, stealing from the old disciples. And later, the Bible says, Satan entered into him. Therefore, to practice stealing instead of giving is a reflection of selfish interest and Satan's influence. The old nature always leads us to practice taking, to get what we want, no matter how we get it. And the new nature has new practices. Verse 28. Here's the change of direction. Verse 28 says, Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. You see, that word instead is a change of direction. And this is towards the new nature, which leads to hands towards the following values. The Bible says, Instead, use them for hard work and generosity. So God wants to take our selfish hands that take towards changing those hands to work 
and generosity. It's possible that those here who were stealing were not those who could not work, but those who would not work. And there's a difference in those two things. They were lazy. They likely had idle hands. And y'all, idle hands often leads to sticky fingers. You're sitting around thinking about what you don't have and what everybody else has and the opportunities and these things like that. And all of a sudden, that idle mind and idle hand leads to a taking mentality. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 commands believers in the name of Jesus to be done with an idle life. Don't be sitting around not doing anything all the time. Commands believers to, to get away from that life that lays around and to settle down and to work and earn your own living. Meaning their own living, meaning not to take from somebody else's living. But hard work is not the end of the new nature. Now I want you to hear this. We could keep talking about hard work today. We could keep talking about how everybody needs to go to work. We could keep talking about how, how that, is a, that is something that God values is, is people working for a living. But hard work is not the end of the new nature because even honest work can become a selfish thing. Because the money that you earn can be treated like it's your money to begin with and nobody's getting a part of your money. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to stand up here and talk about money from the pulpit knowing that all of us and the way we get when we start talking about it. Like you're talking about my money now. He's messing with my money now. Every time I come in here, they're talking about money. You need to come in here more often then. Because we don't every Sunday. The Scripture says, and goes further to say, that with the new nature, God changes your hands from stealing to working. And to giving. The thief's purpose is to steal. And then what did Jesus say? But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Know the basis of what we're talking about in Ephesians. The difference from the old nature to the new nature. The Bible says that's not what you learned about Jesus. You take the truth that he's taught you and then put off the old and put on the new. Well, the old is taking. The new is not even working. The new is giving. That's the end. The, uh, the end of the work of the hands is giving. Once you earn money from an honest day's work, give generously to others in need. For the Christian, the end goal of our work should not be reception. The end goal of our work should not be consumption. The end goal of the work of a Christian should be distribution. This is the truth that comes from Jesus because this is the example of Jesus. Jesus laid down what was his what was his right to keep as God. He laid down his privileges as God, the Bible says. The Bible says that he laid down his position above so that we could benefit, the ones that are in need could benefit from the Father's will. And Jesus laid down what he had for his glory of the Father and for our good. Therefore, it is our responsibility not just to be consumers and takers, but givers and generous givers. Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. He wasn't made to give. He wasn't forced to give. He voluntarily laid down his life. And we're talking about a couple bucks. And Jesus bled for us, hung on a cross for us voluntarily so that we who are in need of forgiveness and eternal life and freedom and grace and mercy, we got that because he gave it. 
And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says that Christ gave himself for her, his bride, the church. And you may have heard this one, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We stand in need of a Savior because we're sinners. And God gave of what is his, his love and his sacrifice, so that we may be fit for heaven. The, the new nature, the new nature looks like this in the life of a Christian. Less taking and more giving. The new nature follows the pattern of Jesus. And what we're to trace here is sacrificial and generous giving to people in need. Generosity is the new practice of the new man. Maybe 2022 needs to be that year for you where you finally stop treating your money like it's yours and you start treating your money like God gave it to you. Maybe this is the year that that you begin to open up your mind and heart to what God's word really says about generosity rather than getting all bowed up about somebody talking about your money. Let me tell you something. You can keep your money because God's going to take care of it anyway. God gives us the opportunity to be a part of what he's doing. I trust God to take care of his church. And when we give with a heart of generosity, he blesses his church. And let me tell you something. As Bradley talks about how we are a generous church, that's one thing this church has got years and years and years before I ever got here is we were taught how to give by faith and trusting God to do great work, and he has. Don't you be a part of turning that thing the other way. Amen? Generosity is a new practice of the new man. Church, I I want you to know your pastors and staff here meet each week with people in need. I don't know where you think we live, but we have people that come in all week long that are in need. They stop at the door, they make an appointment, and they meet with our pastors. and, And some of them, you know the truth, some of them need to go to work. That's the truth of it. But some of them can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps because they don't have any boots. And so they come in off the street from different parts of North Alabama, and they come to Lindsay Lane. Let me tell you all something. They come to Lindsay Lane because we've got a reputation of giving. Y'all, y'all didn't hear that. That's the honest truth. They come to Lindsay Lane because other churches will say we don't have it, so go up there. That's a lie, first off. Second off, if you come in here and ask for help from this church saying that you've got a church home, then your church home ain't getting after it, or you need to leave there and come here because something's wrong. usually means that's really not your church home. But you put that down because you want us to know you're a Christian, so we'll help you. Come on, lay that down. We've got to lay that stuff down. This is who we are. This is what our need is. And so people come in here off the streets every week, and, and our staff discerns and prays over how to help these people with the resources, the resources that come from you and from me, those that give, those that contribute tithes and offerings to the church. And not only, y'all, listen, the way that we see this is not a burden. We see it as an opportunity. Because most of the time when they come in, we'll be like, look, we'll, t- we'll talk about helping you, and I think we can help you. But listen, this is what you really need. You really need for God to flip your life upside down. And here's how that happens, through the grace, mercy, and standard and power of Jesus Christ. And every single one of our pastors shares that with the people that come in. So let them come. Lindsay Lane has always been and will continue to be a steward of generosity towards the poor because the Scripture leads us as church leaders to do so. 
Y'all listen to this verse. Y'all listen to this verse. Proverbs 19, 17 says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He will repay you. That's what He'll do. What will we do? We will not send people down the road when it is within our ability and wisdom to help them. Sometimes it's not about handing them something that will help them to keep their home or pay a light bill. or Sometimes it's not even about getting food. We, we had a guy here on the staff, one of our pastors, help a guy off the street get his license. We don't need to hand him any money. We need to get the man his driver's license so he can go to work. So that's, that's what happens. But your generosity feeds into the church being a blessing to those who are in need. And as we are considering our giving, think about this year, what that means for all of us. Maybe this is the first time that you need to begin to bless the work of God. Maybe this is the first time that you need to decide in your heart according to what you've been given and prospered by and how much to give. I'm not telling you anything that's not in this Bible. This is the word of God. And as we are considering our giving, y'all, those of you are giving, I want you to encourage you with this. Sometimes I think we can look around and see what other folks are purchasing and see what other people are doing and think to ourselves, how come we can't do that? Well, one of the reasons you can't do that is because you've prioritized your money to go to the work of the Lord. And make no mistake, he'll reward that. He will bless you for it. And I'd rather give up a trip or a gift and give to honor my Lord and Savior than to add one more thing to the calendar we just going to plan for and spend for. Think about it. Could be a blessing. The value here is, is not just honest living, but generous giving. Now, as we move from the work of our hands to working and to generosity, if you remember, I said that there were three standards of the new nature that the Bible talks about in these few verses. The new nature of our mouth, the new nature of our emotions, and then the new nature of our hands. But look, it goes back into verse 29 to our mouth again. So there's only three. There's four listed, but two of them are the same. It's, it's, it's the mouth. God, again, returns to that mouth and how we talk. It is such an expression of who we are and what we believe. And the Bible says in verse 29... Don't use foul or abusive language. I'm just going to let that sit with you for a minute. And, and here's why. I believe the Holy Spirit's already worked on you. When you heard from the Word of God, don't use foul or abusive language. And I truly would ask us today, for us all, because we all got work to do when it comes to this, for us all... To just let God's spirit merge with God's word and have his way of conviction in our life. So that even if we could justify the way that we talk, maybe he would get it out so that we can grow even closer and our witness be even sharper for Jesus. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Our mouths are so dangerous to our new life that God would list it twice in four verses. Now, it's likely after you hear this, though, and you hear the Bible say, stop speaking with foul and abusive language, we want to know what that means. Right? Everybody's thinking about <laughs> We got folks in here probably that are going, all right, what about this four-letter word? 
if you use that, and that's probably a, a time for a group to discuss those things, right? But we all begin to think about what's okay and what's not okay. And again, before I answer that, I think it'd all be just good for us to consider what God's Spirit would, would sharpen in our own life. I'm telling you, the life of a Christian is like a garden. When you get saved, God just continues to pull weeds over and over so that you grow stronger and stronger. And so if this is something that God is working on in your life, then let it be. The Bible says don't use foul or abusive language. Now, there's two interpretations from this corrupt communication that another version puts it. Two interpretations of this foul or abusive, foul or abusive language that, that can be found for the thought of this. And that is worthless or unwholesome. Worthless or unwholesome language. Worthless means that it does not add value. That, that the color of your language doesn't add any value to your conversation. And, and I think in our new nature, in the new nature, we watch movies or we listen to music from time to time and think to ourselves, why do they make these things with that language? And we say things like this, it doesn't add anything to it, right? It doesn't add any value to it. Now, part of the reason why these movies and these songs keep adding that language is because that's not outside, that, that's no new nature there. They're, they're speaking with an old nature. So an old nature doesn't find those things wrong. A new nature will call those things out. But let me say this as we are thinking about foul or abusive language and all these things that come up in our head. Leaders, coaches, parents, bosses, you can get your point across without coarse language. Christians, leaders, bosses, parents, coaches, you can get your point across without coarse language. I'm doing it right now. Now what would you think if I just hauled off an Uncle Cuss up here? Oh, no, you can't do that. Then you can't do it. Come on. Y'all, I know men. I know men in my life that if God, if they would allow God to get a hold of their mouth, that God would increase their witness by 10. Men, don't give that excuse of that's how I grew up and that's who I work around. This is old nature to new nature. Let Jesus have his way. A lot of times, the reason why we feel like we can't teach, we can't lead, we can't be a witness out there, is because we won't let God have our mouth. Doesn't matter if you're from the military. You're in the Lord's army now. Doesn't matter if, if you are from a locker room culture. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes are not for the new nature. It's just not for us. Because we represent new, not old. We represent a new salvation brought to us by the holy living God. Why does the Bible call this out of our life? Because this is not the truth that comes from Jesus. It's not the truth that comes from Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, you are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. This is the indicator of your heart. This is showing you what's going on in there. There should at least be some, I know I need to quit talking about that. I know I need to quit talking like that. Well, it doesn't matter about where you're from. Let God sharpen your mouth. 
You see, when, when Jesus says you are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth, there's a moral standard that goes along with the new nature. And what comes out of our mouth can rep, misrepresent Christ in us. If everything, and this is where it really gets challenging for me, if everything we say is to be good and helpful, because that's what the Bible says. Let everything you say be good and helpful. You know, if we took that every day to heart, we would talk a lot less. Isn't that the truth? That's what I need. I need to quit at every conversation thinking I can fix it. I need to quit thinking that I've got the solution or somebody needs to hear me. I need to quit doing that. Because if, if, if we, the Bible says that, that everything, let everything you say be, be good and helpful, then we would talk a lot less. I think we've all got room to take some words out of our mouth today. Amen? Consider this question. Straight up. Consider this question. What words add no real worth to your speech, but if you are honest, it only takes away from your witness? What real words add no value to how you talk, but if you're honest, only takes away from our witness? Unwholesome. Unwholesome is the other thought behind corrupt communication or foul and abusive language. Unwholesome means detrimental to well-being of another. Unwholesome means detrimental or offensive. Y'all, we hear this term probably now more often than we did. Verbal abuse. Verbal abuse is hard to identify, but it doesn't make it any less real. There is that thing called verbal abuse that is an actual thing. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 9, that the light within us produces only what is good and right and true. So think about that in the context of our relationships. Are the things that we are saying good, right, and true? That's the standard for how we should think about how we talk. If your language is directed at someone to the point where the end that they feel that their worth is being questioned. Or even more than that, if your language affects someone to the point where they consider their own self-worth and lower it because of how you are talking, that would fit into the category of verbal abuse. If you are communicating to the point of where you want to maintain a sense of control. You know what you're doing. The reason why you talk to them this way is so that you stay up here and they stay down here. That could qualify as verbal abuse. It absolutely can be abusive. It can be harmful to someone and it can make their life miserable. Husbands, is that what you're trying to do is make your wife miserable? Wives, is that what you're trying to do is make your husband miserable? Is that what we're out when the Bible says that everything that comes from within us from the light is to be good, right, and true? Are we trying to make someone feel small and stay small? You know what I heard a guy say one time right before he died and I did his funeral, his wife died. And this is what he said about her. She never made me feel small. I've never forgotten that. She never made me feel small. What does that mean? It means a lot of things. It means she let God have a hold of her mouth and how she talked to him. Now, he didn't say that same thing about how he talked to her. And I don't know how that went. But I know that's what he said about her. Are we, what are we doing with our, our communication? I'll just tell you, it's difficult for me, difficult for me, and I don't care who it is, politician or husband, wife, or whatever. It's difficult for me 
to believe that anyone is living with a new nature who cannot admit mistakes. It's hard for me to believe anyone is living the life that Jesus has called them to if they cannot admit responsibility for fault in a relationship and ask for forgiveness and admit that they're a part of the problem. If you come into my office and sit down and go, it's them, it's all them, probably not buying that. Because relationship is two people trying to go one direction. And it don't just run off the course in the first mile. Consider these three questions when it comes to our language. Three, these three questions. I think they'll be on the screen. If they're not, write them down. Three questions to think about when considering our language. Is there restraint? Is there respect? And is there representation? Is there restraint? Is there respect? And is there representation? Is there restraint? The scripture says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Because of this, because the Bible says to be slow to speak, there will be a spiritual check for us to speak slower and a spiritual conviction for us if we have not. But there will be a Holy Spirit check on our lives that is is convicting the truth over our responses and expressions. And as a reminder to myself, you know, we don't have to say something all the time. (laughs) We don't have to respond all the time. We don't have to get our two cents in all the time. If we're slow to speak, we'd eat a lot of words instead of spewing them out. Is there restraint when we're talking? Second question is, is there respect? Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, to consider others as better than ourselves. To consider others as better than ourselves. Because of this, there will be a consideration of language. And this is where I struggle within my own family, if I'm just being transparent. There will also be a consideration of tone. Ugh. I don't even like talking about this because it's so hard. But if there is a level of respect, we will take a level of tone that meets the respect that we're giving. Again, pastors preach what they get right and what they get wrong. And it's interesting, y'all listen to this. When we ask the question in our communication, is there respect? I don't read at all where Jesus cussed out or even made contentious remarks about Pontius Pilate. Y'all hear me? Christians, Christians, we need to watch our political mouse. In conversation to other people, online and social media, Because the world is beginning to know that you are a conservative, but not a conservative Christian. You say, what are we doing when we value nationalism more than we value evangelism? We're losing it. If you see anywhere in there where Jesus was bringing down all these folks by his words and cutting them in half, show it to me. There was a greater thing that he was working on called the kingdom of God. God is not working on a country. He's working on a kingdom. So if God's priority is to work on a kingdom, we need to keep that in mind when we get to that mouth. I don't want folks coming back to me and saying, did you see what one of your guys that go to Lindsay Lane put on social media? I don't want that. And I will say this, if you're involved here and a member here, and this keeps coming across me, God have mercy, we're going to deal with it. I think that's my responsibility as an overseer to call you and say, did you know that you are damaging the witness of this church and yourself by how you react to people on social media? 
See, this is kingdom stuff here. It's way and above all the things you're thinking about. Who do people know that you are? Who do people know that you represent? Is there respect in your communication? Y'all, even if the world doesn't match that, even if the world cannot disagree peacefully, well, we don't go by the world, do we? In fact, what I read in here is we're foreigners to this land. That means we talk different because we're foreigners. That means we act different. We, are, are we trying to reach people by shouting them down? Is there a level of respect in our communication because the leader that we follow is Jesus, our King, and our Savior who always tells the truth but in love. You can disagree and voice that disagreement, but how you talk is subject to your Savior. Third thing is there's a representation. The Scripture says, in whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. In whatever you do or you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, there will be spiritual conviction for our language to be consistent with the new nature that is grounded in the truth of Jesus. I want you to all consider this question right now, all of us. What is it that you would not say in the sanctuary, but you will outside of it? And why would you not say it in the sanctuary? Why would you, Christian, why would you not say it in the sanctuary? If you grew up in the South, it's almost like when you cross this line, that's when it goes away. And when we cross back over, let me tell you what that dude did. (laughs) Why, Why would you say it out there, but not say it in here? So, we, we all need to consider this, and why would we not do that? You know why we would not say those words when we cross that line? It's because we consider this place holy. Well, somewhere I read that now we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So it just goes with us when we leave, if that's who we claim to be. The Scripture gives a change of direction again. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 28, 29, don't use foul or abusive language. And then the change of direction. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I need to be more quiet more often. I need to listen more often than I talk so that my words will be good and helpful when I do use them. Let's close it down. Yesterday... I went to get our family some breakfast. We went to a local fast food restaurant, or I did. The drive through line was covered up. I'm talking about like there was folks, it was like half of Athens was at this drive through So when I pulled in, I was like, I'm not going to the drive through I'm going in because maybe that'll be quicker, right? Well, so I park the truck, I get out, and I walk up to the, or what, what is getting closer to the cash register, and there's obviously a young lady, and this is, if you're, if you're watching people, this is obviously like her first or second week at, at work. And thank God that she's working. And so she's, she, because when she ain't working, all of us, see, that's what I get so frustrated about, is we're like, well, none of these places are open. And when they are open and people are being trained, all of us are like, well, it's taking too long. Well, Lord have mercy. And this is what happened because I, I went into the restaurant and I can tell by what's going on, the mannerisms of the two guys in front of me, they're doing one of these things like, you know, they're not saying a whole lot. It's just their body language is talking for them. 
And they had this look of frustration. And then I get to the cash register and she takes my order. And I, I stood in line with the rest of them because the truth is, is they had 100 cars in the drive-thru and they had 50 people inside. So it's taken a long time. And then an older couple walked in. And even before they ordered, there was looks of disdain. Like they walk in because they don't seen the line in the drive-thru. We walk in the restaurant. These three guys are waiting. Looks like they don't know what they're doing. Start rolling their eyes before they even ordered their breakfast burrito. And so as, as I'm watching this, and she repeatedly said, she repeatedly said, you've got to be careful when you go places because there may be preachers there who are going to use you in an illustration the next day. <laughs> she, she repeatedly said, we're in a hurry. We're in a hurry. We're on our way. To the ball game in Nashville. We're on our way to the ball game in Nashville. We're just in a hurry this morning. Part of me thinks the Lord had the Titans lose because of this lady. I'm serious. Y'all hurry up all you want to. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And then, and, and she just keeps on. Then, then she, she said to the others, well, the other restaurants like this one, do it this way. And they have these things like this. And it works better. And she's saying it so everybody can hear her. And she actually turned to me a few minutes later and said, well, we'll not be back to this one because this one's not a good one. And I thought, good. You know? <laughs> I was like, that's probably a good thing for everybody in here, ma'am, if you'll just... Uh... And the young woman behind the counter, you know what? The young woman behind the counter apologized to her because it was her first week. Oh, This is the point I want to make to you today. The customer lady with the entitled attitude never raised her voice or said an expletive, but she used foul and abusive language. That's how deep this takes it. I read this, I read this this week. This is so good. The way we react to minor inconveniences settles a lot about our character. The way we react to minor inconveniences says a lot about our character. Others around her, seriously, as we were standing there, there's another guy and his son that came in. They're just trying to have a good Saturday. Kid got a milkshake. I thought, it's 9 a.m. He's getting a milkshake. Good for him, buddy. You know? Getting a milkshake because I, I was standing over there and she was scooping out ice cream. I was like, who in the world is getting a milkshake? And then this little kid came up and said, that's me. I was like, Man, good for you. No, it's Saturday morning, Whistling Dixie. It was great. And we're talking, and people are kind of cutting up a little bit, and we're talking about how different things are, you know, whatever. And, and still, it, it would not go against her attitude. She was so disgruntled because she was going to be late for her precious ball game. I mean, that's what we were really talking about. You're going to hurt a lady's feelings for a week because you're going to get on the road ten minutes later. This is the challenge that we face between that old nature and that new nature. What did that young lady behind the counter need? She needed what the Bible says. She needed good and helpful, encouraging words. You're doing all right. It's all right. Hey, it's all right. We can be late if we're going to be late. It's no big deal. You having a good day? No, we can't think about any of that because we've got to get to the ball game. Can I be straight up with y'all? Some of us need to bow our heads today 
And some of us need to hit our knees before a holy God and apologize for how we're talking to his image bearers. For how we are talking to people that God has created in his image. How we're talking to people that God desires to save and to teach the same truth that his followers are to be living out. When we don't get this right, there needs to be repentance in the church. There needs to be a time where if you don't feel like walking in front of everybody, that's fine. But when we get to the time of invitation, we drop our head low in humility because, God, we got this wrong and I'm asking you to forgive me. And we might need to hit those bricks and get in our car and go to that restaurant and tell somebody we're sorry. See, the way we talk says so much about who we are. You think about it. That's not that big a deal. It's not. This is one of the main ways we have of identifying who we belong to. This is, seriously, the way that we talk. This is our main expression through the day. This says everything. This is why Jesus said, the words you speak come from the heart and that's what defiles you. The the words that we speak represent a heart that is either still lost in sin and selfishness or one that has been changed from the old nature to the new nature in the grace and godliness and holiness and righteousness of Jesus the King and Christ. So if our mouth needs to change, let it change. Because here's the deal. If our mouth does change, people are going to start questioning, what in the world is going on with you? Isn't that good? I love it. I love it. I, I've told this recently. It's one of my favorite things. I was actually telling this yesterday because a friend of mine that's in this church was, was telling me that the, the guys, he, he's changed positions and is in a leadership position now. And, and some of the guys that are around him that he's over knew him about 20 years ago. And he's completely changed because Jesus has changed his heart. And they're like, this is not the old dude I used to know. Good friend of mine, we're at a ball field one time. And, and one of the kids that's on the team, he, he says, hey, man, you know, uh, you know uh, so-and-so? Is that his son? I said, yeah, man. I said, he goes to church with us now. He said, uh-huh. He's going to church? I said, yeah. He said, I knew him back in college. That's, that's good, I guess. I said, well, he don't just go to church, man. He teaches groups at our church. And he said, hold up. He teaches groups at your church? I said, yeah. He goes, well, man, isn't that something? And all of a sudden, the guys that the world used to know has not been the same since something happened. And then they get to ask that question, what happened? And that's when we get to use that mouth again and tell them about the good news that God doesn't give up on people and the power of the Holy Spirit that changes us daily away from ourselves and towards the glory of God and for the good of man. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. You see, Jesus is not only the way to be forgiven, Jesus is the way to get out of this stuff. We follow Jesus every day. We put on that new nature every day. We're slower to speak. We consider others as better than ourselves. We let everything we do or say be as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happens when we choose to follow Jesus each and every day. So again, Jesus is not only the way to your forgiveness of these sins, but he's also a way for you to be out of it. Thank you for being here today.
And I would remind us all that as we read this and this hard truth to take, there is grace for when we fall short. Just knowing that we have this time of invitation where we can get it right before God reminds us of his patience with us. Thank God. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I know a lot of this is tough to take because I've had to digest it myself this week. And I pray, oh God, that each and every one of us, not for the glory of a local church, but for the glory of you and for the good of people who are listening. I pray that our communication, I pray that our generosity, I pray that the way that we work, the way that we think, I pray that our emotions, the truth that we tell, all of these things would cause a world that is sleeping to wake up and ask the question of what is going on with us. And Lord, that we would be so ingrained in you each day that there would be a consistent representation of your change in our life. Lord, keep us from ourselves. As I've heard in the last week, Lord, help us to make decisions against ourselves. For God, we need you. And we humbly admit that today. And I pray now, Lord, for all of us that our our heart and our minds would be bowed before you. Lord, if you would lead us to take a knee at this altar or to bow our head in this seat where we are, I pray, God, that that would happen now. Lord, that we would confess our sins to you and to others if it be so. We thank you, O God, for your love and forgiveness and mercy and for your standard which holds our feet to the holy fire. In Jesus' name, amen. This is an invitation to this altar. If you'd like to come and pray today, come on. Don't put on airs. Come on to this altar. If you need to come and join this church today, come on. we got pastors that are here that want to talk with you. If you want to join the church, if you want to be baptized, if you want to have a conversation about things that matter today, we got pastors that are here. Fill this altar. Let, let it be a sanctuary filled with repentance and filled with praise that we would hear from God and that God would hear from us. Amen.